informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks, as always, for letting us be a part of your day. Coming up uh, on the show today, we have some interesting uh, research information from the National Pork Board on how Americans are eating at home and, and how that opens a great opportunity for the pork industry, and also some information from the Animal Ag Alliance on a sustainability study uh, across uh, animal agriculture. Some very interesting information coming up there. But right now we're talking with Brian Deers, University of Illinois plant breeder, part of the SCN, Soybean Cyst Nematode Coalition. Brian, thanks for joining us. How much progress, are we making progress in battling uh, SCN? Yes, uh, thanks for having me, Mike. Um, yes, I think we are making progress. So soybean cyst nematode is a tough foe. It's a, it's a pest that we're probably never going to eliminate using the right um, control methods. We should be able to maintain the populations at a low level so that they're not going to cause large yield losses. Now, I understand that the, your team has come up with a couple of new resistance genes. Is that right? Something we've been working on for a long time. And so what we're, we've been very interested in is diversifying the resistance to soybean cyst nematode. So if you look at soybean varieties that are available in the northern U.S., you'll see that there's hundreds of varieties available. But if you actually look at the sources of resistance in these varieties, basically all of them um, have their resistance coming from one genetic source, and that source is called PI88788. It's a plant introduction that came from China in the early 1900s. Breeders in the northern U.S. have, have used this as their source of resistance um, almost ex- exclusively, so now we're, we're seeing the nematode populations and fields evolving so that they're now um, being able to overcome this resistance at a higher and higher rate. So what we've been doing is looking at other sources um, of resistance to soybean systems. To do is map a couple of major SEN resistance genes coming from wild soybeans. So this is a, a different species. It's a progenitor of soybeans. And through genetic markers and genetic technology, what we've been able to do is map these genes and then using breeding methods, move these genes into domestic soybeans and stack them with other genes to try to increase the level of resistance we see in variety. So is that, uh, I hear both nematode or nematode, however you want to say it, but uh, is the reason it's been so hard to control or get a real handle on is because it continues to evolve? As, as, as you said, it's it, it developing resistance as we go along here, so that's what's making it so difficult? Yeah, so you could think about it as it's developing resistance to the resistance. So mm-hmm. so this PI88788, seen it in our varieties for uh, probably 30 years now. Um, and it's been a great source of resistance. And when we first started using it, it controlled the nematodes, for example, in Illinois very well. But now if you actually sample nematodes in fields, what you can see is that their ability to overcome that resistance has increased. 
typically we don't see that they, they can completely overcome the resistance, but they're able to partially overcome this resistance. And as we continue to use this 8878 resistance, it's going to probably be less and less effective over time. So that's, that's really what the, pro, the, the issue is. Um, another issue with the nematodes is that it's below ground, and it's hard to see what's going on. So that you're pro, lots of farmers have yield losses without really recognizing it because they don't really see symptoms. Um, um, the nematodes are very small when they and they feed on the roots, so you can have things happening that people don't notice. Um, so I think it's both the fact that it's hard to know what's going on, as well as our reliance on this one source of resistance has been combining to make this a bigger and bigger problem. So even though we're looking more for it, scouting and monitoring, still difficult, isn't it? That's right, and what people really have to do is is take soil samples, have them am- analyzed so that they know how what the infestation levels are in the field. Like we've worked on other diseases that are on the crop canopy, and everyone recognizes when that disease hits because you, you see obvious symptoms uh, on the plants, whereas the nematodes, it's, a, it's, it's harder for people to all going on underground. So you have two new resistant genes that uh, breeding into commercial soybean varieties, but it has to be ongoing research, right, because of that uh, evolution of resistance. That's right. I mean, so what we've done is we've taken those genes from glyce- from the wild soybeans or glycine soja. We're combining it actually with the resistance from 88788, and we're also combining that with resistance genes from another source to basically give us a four-gene stack that shows good potential for, for um, being able to control um, uh, the nematodes. There's other sources, sources of resistance available as well, like there's what's called the Peking resistance that works, works pretty well as an alternative source of resistance and another source called the Hartwig or 437654 resistance that also works very well. So, I mean, there's, there's other opportunities for, for um, different sources of resistance, but the big problem and the difficulty is to get these genes into high-yielding backgrounds um, because we could have ex- extremely high levels of resistance, but nobody wants that variety unless it also yields well. So that, that's been the big holdup. So how are these resistant varieties going to be able to yield uh, uh, like the ones we were using? Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're making progress, progress and we're almost there. I mean, some of the major seed companies do have varieties with the Peking resistance that yield well. I've seen some varieties with the, the Hartwig-type resistance that are also yielding well. We've released a variety to, to a seed company in Illinois that has the PI88788 resistance with the um, two wild soybean genes, um, and that's yielding well. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a matter of just keep working at this. So, so breeding is a slow process. We just have to keep cycling our, our generations of breeding, and over time, we're able to 
get get varieties that are on par with with the best varieties. Is it safe to say may not realize they have SCN uh, and are losing yield uh, to it? Probably, even though they don't realize it, they probably do have it. Absolutely, and that's one thing that the the SCN coalition is really wanting to emphasize is that we we want farmers to know what's in their fields. So the real key is that what we need to do is sample sample your field, send soil samples into labs so that you know what the population is in the field because you can't deal with that uh, problem unless you know what it is. That's Brian Deers, University of Illinois plant breeder, part of the SCN, Soybean System Toad Coalition. Thanks, Brian. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. More coming up here on AOA. Stay with us. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Wake up and text. Text and text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and listen to them complain. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time. My idea in front of companies. How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. you got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't, because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. To show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. 
A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, I always find it interesting, uh, consumer trends, and especially when it comes to not only what people are eating, but where they are eating. And uh, there's some new information out from the National Pork Board, a report called Dinner at Home in America. Joining us to talk about it is Jared Sutton, Vice President of Domestic Marketing for the National Pork Board. Jared, thanks for joining us. Hey, Mike. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So tell us about this study. Well, it is a big study. It's a study we started way back in 2016, really building and constructing a framework to figure out essentially how consumers are changing the way that they're eating. And uh, we started with this idea of how dinner at home in America is changing. And as I tell everyone, if I were talking to my mom and dad, I better say supper at home. But it's really the Uh, evening meal at home and how things are changing with just busy lifestyles and uh, really trying to understand what are the need states of people when they're thinking about what's for uh, what's for supper tonight, what's for dinner tonight. And so we essentially build a comprehensive uh, data set that um, not only looks at what people are buying, which is the best way to understand consumers' behavior, but also doing some research to talk to people and find out what they're thinking and what they need, what they're feeling when they're buying those products, and obviously looking at it through the lens of protein and specifically for pork and through that research, we've been able to identify nine different eating occasions that are happening at dinner time in households all across America at any given time, and really uh, seeing how pork can fit into those different types of eating occasions and, and merchandising our product a bit differently. So it's truly a, a way to position the product that fits the needs of consumers, and obviously it's designed to ultimately grow demand and the, the overall use of pork products. Okay, I want to get into some of the specifics, but, uh, you know, the feeling has been, it, it seems like the trend has been we eat out more. That means we're eating less, fewer meals at home as a family. We're more on the go. We're driving through or we're popping things in a microwave, something real quick. Does Is that reflected in the study or is that starting to change? Yeah, I think the cool thing is you can look inside of this study and you can see Every different age group, every demographic you can think of in terms of gender, in terms of geographic, in terms of ethnicity, and yet we all fall into these different types of dinner eating occasions because we're busy. Sometimes you got to just put dinner on the table because you got to keep the machine running. So what do I got in the fridge? What do I got on hand? Other times you have time, you can do a little planning and preparation and maybe venture outside of your routine a bit. But the reality is, because we're living such busy lifestyles and because technology continues to change that helps us live those busy lifestyles, there are all kinds of solutions that, that help us live easier and live better, yet the food space is probably lagging a bit behind. And so what we're attempting to do is ensure that people see all of the great attributes that pork offers and how that, the products that pork offers, along with those attributes, fit into those daily routines and those, those dinner occasions. And so they can think about it a little bit differently so that you can spice some of those familiar family favorites up a little bit by replacing an existing protein or adding a protein like pork that brings flavor and, and the nu- nutritional value and all the great attributes that pork offers. But you're exactly right. People are eating out a lot more often, and that's really where we're thinking our next venture will be is truly understanding how and why, what, what's in the consideration set. 
to keep that machine running. And again, that kind of intelligence will help us help our packers and processors and retail and food service companies be more successful with pork products. Yeah, flexibility would seem to be the key. I mean, if you just have a product that requires hours of preparation and, and in anticipation of a big sit-down family meal, that's not going to work on a daily basis for many families. So you have to be flexible, provide a product that will work into that changing lifestyle, and also show them the, the, the health benefits as well as the, you know, yeah. you got nutrition and taste and everything involved here, and pork fits right into that. Well, that's it. I mean, there's a couple of anecdotes, but a good example would be somebody like Costco. They're a big retailer. People pay to shop there, and just a tremendous operator here in the U.S. and, of course, internationally as well. And so we work very closely with Costco and really studying consumer trends and, to your point, how you merchandise pork accordingly. And so as an example, they sell big packs of spare ribs, and they sell a lot of them. But they decided to give it a shot, opening up those packs of ribs, pulling the ribs out, sprinkling some seasoning onto those ribs and then wrapping them in single individual units and selling them out of their deli case. They get to charge a bit more because there's some labor involved in that. But because you took, they took, add some value to that product, that means you're taking one step out of the consumer's preparation process and they're selling those ribs at 10x the other spare ribs. One step, one simple value add, and yet that is exactly what consumers are so some of this stuff is really just about positioning and packaging the product a bit differently. Obviously, from uh, you know a bigger macro perspective, we're going to drive innovation in the industry in terms of product development. So fully cooked pork products that can be quickly heat and serve for stir-fry, for uh, fajitas, for an addition into or onto other types of meals, and especially with millennials and the mindset of protein and pork in particular being an ingredient in the meals as opposed to big hunks of meat is really a fundamental shift for our industry and it really creates a lot of opportunities and, and excitement for innovation. Talk domestic marketing. Jared, this study where thousands of interviews were conducted uh, to come up with these results, was this primarily in urban areas, rural areas, a combination or where? Well, good question. So greater than 10,000 this data set. And so a deep, deep understanding of, of people's thoughts, people's needs. And, and that's, that's from the Hispanic U.S. consumer to the Asian American, African American, uh, the general market, really heavily skewed towards those urban areas because it's truly representative of the U.S. population. And because of that, you're looking at a lot of single households, single households where maybe millennials in particular are working to build their careers before considering starting a family. And so when you have those solo eating occasions, uh, from a meat perspective, and pork in particular, they're probably not going to sell a lot of big packages of assorted pork chops. Now we're looking for single individual chops and individual packages and likely a uh, you know, limited competence and confidence in terms of cooking and preparation of that product. So absolutely looking at, at the major metropolitan areas, looking at the way that people live inside of those cities, and then, of course, how they shop and ultimately how they eat, all of that data. And by the way, Mike, this type of data, so this type of research to this extent has never been done before. It is a big old hairy beast, and there's lots of information in there. And now you can, as a marketer, as a brand, you know, as a product developer, you can come at it a bit differently and truly understand what the needs are 
And that's going to fuel the innovation that, of course, it's risky whenever you're going to introduce something new, but because the data is so strong and so sound, we're going to reduce that risk of innovation and really looking forward to engaging deeper with our packer partners to to fuel those ideas and and put some of these uh, projects out into the marketplace and see what kind of response we get from consumers. So versatility, simplicity, those are important. But uh, folks looking for the nutritional aspects, too, that this, uh, again, plays well for pork. You have a good message there. Yeah, I mean, look, the pork checkoff has been working on this for a good number of years. And, and, And for this study in particular, which is a monster, as I said, there are five perception challenges that that present themselves for us as an industry and so pork checkoff is going to focus on this for the foreseeable future and certainly uh, hard in 2019 number one is about flavor you got to taste good and that's the that's the uh, table stakes right and number two is it's got to be uh, it's got to be nutritious people are eating differently and they're thinking about how they're eating and and obviously thinking a lot about protein and how that improves overall vitality and so taste good and be nutritious Obviously, it's got to be safe, and that's an important um, uh, consideration for consumers now, So, uh, more so than ever before. Um, you're also talking about ease, ease of preparation. Man, people just don't have a lot of time, and, and as I mentioned, some of that confidence in the kitchen. That's why you see the emergence of things like the Instant Pot and, and things like the Air Fryer, uh, helping you know, people that are cooking at home be successful and, and do it in a hurry. The fifth and, and um, you know, arguably, arguably most important uh, perception is, is this product good for the earth? Or in other, other words, is it sustainable? And, and so those are the perception uh, issues that we're working through at the pork checkoff. And i got to tell you, these pork producers, I've worked here since 2000, been here for a long time. And, and what I love about working for the pork checkoff is that uh, desire for continuous improvement, but really putting... Uh, the muscle behind that. It's one thing to say that, but we have a safe product. We have a nutritious product. We have a sustainable product. And it makes, um, for my job as as the marketer, um, really fun to package all that up and deliver it out to a consumer that's hungry for that information. Yeah, always important to know what your customers are, are doing and what they're looking for and what they're wanting some very interesting information and uh, some good opportunities here for the pork industry. Jared Sutton, Vice President, Domestic Marketing for the National Pork Board, has been our guest. Thanks, Jared. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. You too. Stay with us. More coming up here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. 
Antonio H. told us, great company. Got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Rumors of big grain trades overseas being seen as an indicator of what kind of buying activity is being seen in the U.S. while the government is shut down and not reporting trade news. Rumors that Chinese buyers have been obtaining corn from the Ukraine seen as a good indication that maybe China could be shopping for U.S. corn, too. Chinese stocks rising on Friday on signs of possible progress in negotiations over Beijing's tariff war with Washington. China announced its economy minister, Vice Premier, will go to Washington for talks on January 30th and 31st, aimed at ending the tariff war. Some say that could be in jeopardy given the government shutdown. U.S. and Chinese trade officials also in talks to reopen China's market to U.S. chicken exports. The negotiations part of efforts to resolve a ban that was implemented back in 2015 in response to an outbreak of avian influenza in the U.S. In soybean futures, trending four and a fraction higher an hour into the trading day with March at 9.12 a bushel. Corn futures near unchanged. March at 3.79 and three quarters. In the wheats, we're a penny and a fraction lower in Chicago wheat, fraction higher in Kansas City and in Minneapolis wheat. For livestock, at the Merck, live cattle futures are 12 to 55 cents lower in nearby contracts. We are waiting for cash cattle activity in the central and southern plains. A winter storm set to push across much of the central U.S., bringing with it several inches of snow, sub-zero temperatures. Livestock producers will likely have their hands full this weekend. In lean hog futures, we're 90 to $1.42 higher. The Dow up 168 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. The Animal Agriculture Alliance has released its Sustainability Impact Report. It focuses on animal agriculture in the United States. It's a very comprehensive report, and joining us to tell us about it is Hannah Thompson-Weeman, Vice President of Communications for the Animal 
Agriculture Alliance. Hannah, thank you for joining us. Uh, a 33-page report. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, sustainability is nothing new to the American farmer or rancher. It's a big buzzword that we're hearing a lot about among the media and consumers. But we want to make sure that people understand that farmers and ranchers share that value of making sure that we're producing a safe, healthy product while reducing our impact on the environment and using fewer and fewer resources. And that's exactly what we highlight in this report. We go through all of the major sectors of animal agriculture in the U.S., and we look at subjects like environmental stewardship, animal welfare, and nutrition, as well as touching on hot topics like food safety. Yeah, you cover dairy, beef, veal, pork, chicken, turkey, egg, sheep, and aquaculture. And it shows not only a, a, a very good story about where animal agriculture is right now when it comes to sta- sustainability, but it also shows the progress that is made over the last several years. That idea of continuous improvement is a huge theme of the report. Farmers and ranchers and the industry as a whole have made really impressive strides over the past decades in, again, being more and more efficient. For example, uh, dairy farmers have reduced their carbon footprint by more than 60% since 1944. Cattle ranchers have reduced their carbon footprint by 16% since the 70s. And hog farmers have also decreased their carbon footprint, land use, and water use since 1960. So we're continuously improving and reducing. And the other thing that's important to keep in mind is we're not just going to stop today. Sustainability is a continuous process. So our industry is going to continue to look for ways to innovate and improve into the future. You know, there's a lot of debate right now about uh, uh, the carbon footprint and uh, the environmental impact that agriculture has. According to EPA, agriculture accounts for a total of 9% of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions and the livestock uh, sector only 3.9%. Now, that's different than what many of the headlines and the stories that have been in the media in the last few years would, would lead people to believe. There are certainly a lot of alarmist claims that come out about eating meat and how people should stop eating meat if they want to do their part to help the environment, but it's really very misunderstood, and the impact of animal agriculture is often grossly misstated. Of course, a lot of times that conversation is coming from activist groups who are opposed to the industry and are just looking for any way to convince people to not support animal agriculture and eat meat. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important for us in the industry to be shouting from the rooftops the true facts and information about our industry, how efficient we are. U.S. production is really a model for farmers around the world in terms of being very efficient and sustainable. And that's a story we need to make sure we're telling. We're talking with Hannah Thompson-Weeman, Vice President of Communications for the Animal Agriculture Alliance, talking about a new study out, Sustainability Impact Report, focusing on animal agriculture in the United States. It's really a, a good story to tell, and it also highlights the efforts of the uh, livestock sector, how people in animal agriculture have uh, been very proactive in uh, reducing the uh, greenhouse gas emissions and uh, uh, being more sustainable. Tell us about some of those efforts we see across the livestock sector. 
So farmers and ranchers recognize the importance of leaving their land as good or better than they found it for a big reason, and that's because we rely on land. We rely on the environment for the feed we feed animals, for being able to pass farms down to future generations. So there are continuous improvements being made. Some examples of how we use water. Water is continuously reused in animal agriculture. For example, dairy farms might use water to uh, cool down milk and then also feed that water to the cows. So it's finding new ways to reuse ingredients. Uh, Another example is feed. Again, we use a lot of feed ingredients to feed animals that don't have any other purpose. We also use livestock for a lot more than just meat. We get so many byproducts from pigs, from cattle, uh, that aren't just meat. So a lot of times when you might hear a story about reducing meat consumption and what that would mean, uh, that doesn't necessarily include the bigger picture of all of the value that animals bring, not only to our diet, but to other things we use on a daily basis as well. Now, another part of this uh, research also shows uh, how animals are cared for. Now, there's always a lot of criticism uh, by some groups out there uh, that uh, that claim that the animals are abused or mistreated. And this study shows uh, the animal welfare uh, aspect of animal agriculture. What's going on for the care of animals? Uh, give us a look into that. Animal welfare is certainly one of the most misunderstood uh, topics out there. And again, in what the Alliance does, our mission is to bridge the communication gap between farm and fork. So animal welfare is one of the core parts of our mission. We are always monitoring for what conversation is going on among consumers, restaurant retail brands, legislators, and other key influencers. And this continues to be a topic that people don't know a lot about. And unfortunately, when there are a lot of myths and misinformation out there, they might be susceptible to buying into some of that. So one of the biggest misconceptions report is that people don't know that there are guidelines and programs out there to help farmers and ranchers uh, know the best ways to care for their animals, continuously innovate and improve. So, for example, in the egg industry, UEP, the United Egg Producers, they have a certified program uh, that 95 of the nation's laying hens are part of that program. And that program provides guidance on best practices for how hens should be raised to make sure that animal welfare and other concerns are being taken into account. Also in the poultry industry, the Chicken Council, they have had guidelines uh, for a very long time, and those are updated continuously with the input of animal scientists and other experts to, again, make sure that farmers and ranchers have access to the newest and best information. In pork and beef, there are quality assurance programs that are also out there that, again, function very similarly. They provide information that is always updated with input from veterinarians and other experts so that we can make sure we're doing the right thing. And in dairy, the the farm program, Farmers Assuring Responsible Management, uh, that has um, been very successful with, what, 98% of the U.S. milk supply coming from dairy farms enrolled in that program? Yes, and I think that's something, again, a message that's very reassuring to consumers that might think that there is no guidance being provided to farmers of how the best ways to raise animals are. That really a vast majority, a large percentage of animals out there are uh, being raised by producers that have access to this kind of information. And some, like the farm program, as you referenced, have audits in place so that people are coming out, verifying that things are being done appropriately. And that can be very reassuring to someone who 
doesn't know a lot about farming and ranching and just wants to make sure they're buying a product that was produced by someone with animal welfare in mind. And of course, as we all know, that is something that farmers and ranchers value very highly. And that can help us communicate that message to consumers and other stakeholders. Then another takeaway from this uh, this report, and I think it's very important in this time of, uh, I think there's consumer confusion out there with all the different products on, in the marketplace and all the different uh, uh, lifestyle choices uh, when it comes to eating that are being promoted. Uh, don't want to overlook the nutritional aspects and the nutritional benefits of animal agriculture in our food supply. This is actually the first time that we've included nutrition in this report. We've done a similar report in previous years, and we really focused on animal welfare and the environment. But this year, we talked about nutrition being such a hot topic that we're hearing more and more about, and so many inaccurate claims about what meat does if you include it in your diet. And we felt that it was important to make sure that we're highlighting the role that meat, poultry, dairy, and eggs can play in a healthy, balanced diet. Uh, So things like the value of vitamin B12 and how available it is in animal sources and not from others. The fact that beef provides so much protein to people and you would have to eat a really large amount of other sources to match the same protein from beef, which probably, uh, again, brings you a lot more calories. For example, beef, three ounces of beef has the same amount of protein as three and a half cups of black beans. But those black beans contain over 300 calories compared to about half that in that lean cut of beef. So those are things that people should keep in mind when they're looking at their diets. Of course, our diets are very personal. We need to make sure we're making decisions that work best for us. But those decisions should be made based on science and accurate information, not on scare tactics being used by some activist groups. Does this uh, report also get into things that are very much in the news now, like antibiotic use and things like that? The report does touch on other hot topics like food safety and antibiotic use. Those are also areas that are very, very important to the animal agriculture industry of making sure that we're bringing a safe product to our consumers. And on the antibiotic front, making sure we're responsibly using antibiotics so they remain a viable tool in managing animal health. Antibiotic use and antibiotic resistance is another, again, very important topic, but one that's often misunderstood uh, by people out there who don't have a lot of knowledge about the industry. So that's why we included those topics in the report, to highlight the efforts going on to ensure responsible use of antibiotics. Some of those efforts are related to some of the animal welfare programs we've touched on earlier that provide guidance for producers on how to use antibiotics, and most of the time in accordance with a veterinarian if they're an antibiotic that's used in human medicine. We also touch on some of the recent guidances from FDA that look at how antibiotics are administered. Again, that it's oversight from veterinarians, and it just demonstrates how the industry looks at that as another area for continuous improvement. I think, Hannah, what this shows is that these values that consumers say they have when it comes to their food and how it's uh, grown, how it's uh, produced, those values are uh, being shared by uh, the livestock industry, by animal agriculture. That's really the bottom line of our report, and that's really the takeaway message we want people to have, that farmers and ranchers and consumers have more in common maybe than they might immediately think. We all go grocery shopping. We all eat the products that are being raised on these farms. So making sure that they are safe, sustainable, uh, and ethically produced is just as important to farmers and ranchers as it is to consumers. So we hope that our report can be a resource for finding that common ground and coming together versus allowing there to be division or confusion between the two audiences. 
Good information. Hannah Thompson-Weeman, Vice President of Communications for the Animal Agriculture Alliance, joining us on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Reason number 12 why you should own a thermospas hot tub they require no attachment to your home's plumbing thanks to the thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance call to receive a free dvd and brochure and find out how you can own a thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited-time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You gotta dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't. Because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. 
Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And joining us now is Danielle Beck. Director of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Danielle, thanks for joining us. Every time I see a story now about uh, lab-grown meat coming soon or coming to the marketplace, will consumers eat uh, or choose lab-grown meat? I think of you and uh, you know our conversations over the course of this past year, which we talked a lot about who has oversight and how it came down with you know FDA and USDA. But uh, the bigger question about uh, this particular topic, uh, I think we're going to get into some interesting questions and areas here as this progresses. But I wanted to talk with you about, about an update. To where do we stand on this? Well, Mike, thanks so much for having me. It's, it's always a pleasure. Uh, and, yeah, I guess over the last year, I've, I don't know if it's a self-proclaimed title I want to own or not, but I, I feel like I'm, you know, my colleagues joke, I'm the self fake meat queen. Uh, and there's more to more work to be done on this issue, but uh, some progress has been made. Uh, you know, since right before Christmas, uh, that was when the comment period closed between uh, USDA and FDA in response to their public meeting, as well as their joint announcement that happened uh, in November, saying that they had come to an agreement on who would regulate what uh, relative to this product. Right now, we we believe FDA will oversee the collection of cells the cell lines and the cell banks, and USDA will oversee the day-to-day production and uh, the labeling. But there are a lot of unknowns. There are a lot of other aspects of oversight that have yet to be hammered out. And it's my understanding the agencies are in the process of uh, trying to finalize a memorandum of understanding. So we still have a ways to go. How far away do you think we are from seeing a lot of this product uh, available to consumers? You know, I keep hearing that the one thing holding uh, some of these products up uh, up from market entry is this uncertainty surrounding a, a regulatory framework. Uh, it sounds like some companies are a lot further along than others, uh, one of which may be ready to enter the market here in the United States in 2019. But again, uh, the one one thing in the way is this regulatory framework. That said, it's you know I have yet to hear of one company that's actually got a, a commercial sized production facility, uh, and so. It, you know, it could be a lot of posturing. You know, there's a lot more work to be done on the R&D side of things, uh, but the technology is rapidly advancing. So I, I would say sooner rather than later. 
obviously the beef industry not excited about having more competition in 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 the marketplace no one's usually excited about that but on the other hand uh, you're not saying keep them out you're saying make sure they have to play by the same rules and make sure the consumers are not misled absolutely from day one you know our goal has never to you know, has never been to come across as anti-competitive. We are, we're not afraid of the competition. Uh, while we're not thrilled with it, we're not afraid of it. We're happy to compete. But the only way to do so fairly is on an even playing field. You know, if you're going to be going after our market share, then you need to play by the same set of rules and standards. Uh, nomenclature, that's important. You know, companies producing lab-grown products should not be allowed to use disparaging terms like clean. Uh, but, you know, just as important, if not more importantly, these companies need to adhere to the same set of stringent food safety regulations uh, because consumer protection is, you know, very important. Names, labels, words matter in this, don't they? What we've seen, and we, you drew parallels during the course of last year in this debate on oversight, you drew parallels to the, the dairy industry and uh, the use of the term and the name milk or dairy by some of these plant imitation products that are out there. Uh, that very much applies to too. It does. You know, words absolutely have meaning. Uh, and beef producers are, are proud of their legacy. They work hard every single day to produce the safest, most nutritious, affordable protein out there. Uh, you know, in my personal opinion, it's also the tastiest. Uh, and so, you know, that term beef, it has meaning. And, you know, we believe that the term beef should only apply to products that are produced, uh, you know, in the way nature intended. Lab-grown products are also going to be looking at ways that they can differentiate themselves in the marketplace, and labeling and the nomenclature associated with their products is one way that they're going to look to do that. Uh, and so USDA will hopefully come up with some sort of compromise, uh, a solution that will allow you know, traditional product nomenclature to be protected while also allowing these products to, to differentiate themselves. But one of the things we asked for in our uh, public comment submission was that USDA conduct a study uh, to determine consumer understanding and what, what labeling terms, uh, what terms talking about production practices actually will provide consumers with enough information to make accurate, informed purchasing decisions. Do you draw any parallels or get any hints of how this might play out based on what we have seen from USDA on their biotech labeling rules? Well, I think at this point there's so much work that needs to be done between both USDA and FDA that they've been pretty tight-lipped. Uh, it also doesn't help that they're now in the second week of a shutdown uh, to go around to be really focusing and working on this uh, each and every day. Uh, hopefully they will take a, a measure similar to what happened with GMOs. I, I wouldn't expect the agency to do anything otherwise. Mm-hmm. I, I, just, I think it's fascinating. Uh, once, if it does get to the marketplace, if uh, someone's out there marketing this, to see what consumer reaction will be, just based on the skepticism we mows that technology, uh, I would think it would be a tough sell. But that remains to be seen uh, how this plays out. But uh, what you want to assure is that uh, you got a level playing field, right? Absolutely. You know, I think consumers uh, sometimes pick and choose their science, but at the end of the day, if you look at the trends in terms of millennials in urban areas especially, there is a drive to know exactly where their food is coming from. They like purchasing, you know, what is quote-unquote all-natural, organic, locally grown. They like the idea of supporting their local farmers and ranchers. And so, you know, we're confident that our products will continue to beat out the competition regardless of, you know, whether it's chicken, pork, 
you know, pork, uh, a black bean burger, a burger that bleeds and sizzles like real meat but's made, but is made from plants, or even, you know, a burger produced in a laboratory environment. But uh, I don't think you can get closer to the definition of a factory farm than something made in a lab. And that, that will resonate with consumers. All right, Danielle, thank you very much, and uh, we'll stay in touch with you. Uh, as this, it's, it's, It'll be a story certainly to watch throughout uh, 2019, and thank you for keeping us up to date. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mike. All right, take care. Danielle Beck, Director of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today. We have a busy few weeks ahead. We're going to be broadcasting live on the National Biodiesel Board's annual convention, National Cattlemen's Beef Association convention, National Ethanol Conference, and Commodity Classic, all coming up in the next few weeks here on AOA. Thanks for being with us today. Have a great day, everyone. Adams on Agriculture.